Well, peace be with you. Uh, my name is Chad Lewis, and I'm a pastor here at Sojourn. And for the last three weeks, we've been diving into the heart of the Reformation uh, here on its 500th anniversary. And today we're going to dive in a little more deeply. And a lot of the questions we've been asking are the same questions that Martin Luther asked 500 years ago. How can we know God as broken, sinful people? How can we be in his presence? What is the source of all truth? And what the reformers found is what we've talked about for the last three weeks is that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, achieved by the work of Christ alone. And as they dug deeper and they looked at the writings of Paul, they looked at the teachings of Jesus and really the whole theme of scripture, they found something that was mind-blowing and it's still mind-blowing today when we think about it because there's something reductionistic in the human heart that we come to a subject and we wanna limit it. And so often God is put as a supporting role in our lives and it's about my goals, my needs, my dreams. How can I get to heaven? How can I avoid hell? How can I make this life the best for me? And as they looked through the scriptures over and over again, they came to this truth that has implications for all of life, really all of human history, all eternity. But they found a theme in the scriptures over and over again is that God and his glory is the greatest thing in all the universe. It's about God and his glory. And not that just it's about him, but that he is not a means to an end for us, but he is the end. He gives himself to us. He gives himself to us. We get God. And as we look at this short passage here at the end of Romans 9 through 11, it's a, it's a doxology, a song of praise that Paul's been expounding on this beautiful truth that salvation wasn't just for the Jewish people, but that salvation was meant to be for the whole world, for grace to come forth, for the message to go forth so that God could gather for himself a nation, a people, a beloved people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And um, he gets to the end of Romans 11 and he just declares, oh, 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 this is the story. This is the song we sing. Glory belongs to God alone. And so we're gonna look through three points. You have it in your outline. We're gonna look at the challenge when we think about God's glory. We're gonna think about the claim and then think about the call for our lives. But here's the first thing, the challenge. And it kind of comes to us with this question. Do you think you can know God? You think you can know God? You're crazy. You're crazy. That's crazy. Think you can know God. Because Paul writes, how unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable or inscrutable his ways. And quoting from the prophet Isaiah and Job, he says, for who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And the truth is I can make a declaration about you here today, about myself, about all people. And it is this statement. Your view of God is too small. My view of God is too small. And I don't say it to shame us to say, hey, get a bigger view of God. It's, it's just, we're finite creatures. We have a sin nature. We have limited understanding. And we can think about the vastness of God, but it's impossible for our finite minds to think about how big he really is. And we can stretch our brains, stretch our hearts, do some exercises. I've got some math exercises for us to do in just a minute to stretch our, our brains and our hearts. And we come to this question and we say, Lord, how can we get a bigger view of you? And we look at the scriptures and we say, Lord, expand our view. And the truth is, 
I say your view of God is too small and my view of God is too small to spark in us a sense of excitement that there's more to know about God. He doesn't say, man, I wish the world, they just don't know about me enough. He's like, you don't know enough about me. Come seek my face. I will teach you. Come learn from me. Come learn. Our view of God's glory is too small. Our view of God's power is too small. Our view of God's grace and love is too small, but his invitations come and see. I'll expand your view. And I truly believe for all eternity, our views will be expanding over and over and over again as we get to know God more and more and more. All throughout this life, his call is for us to know him more. And that's gonna be our goal. But the question I have is how big is God? How wise is God? And some of you know my undergrads in mathematics and sometimes I pull out pencil and paper and the TI-85 calculator, dust it off. Still works, the batteries never run out, it's amazing. Um, but I wanna look a little bit of bigness of God. And so I've been doing this for years, looking at the solar system. And so the first slide you see here is that, depending on when you went to school, there are eight or nine planets in our solar system. <laughs> you call it dwarf planet if you like. And, but our universe is bigger than just our solar system, is bigger than just our galaxy. But let's just start with our solar system. One star, it's a medium-sized star, the sun, and the planets rotate around the sun in elliptical paths, and the earth is not the center of our solar system. The sun is, and it's there. And we've talked about in the past, if we were too close to the sun, we'd burn up. If we were too far away, we'd freeze to death. It's in the perfect place, and it actually is in the perfect place also to see the expanses of the universe as well. But we fast forward, the, the next slide is the Milky Way galaxy. And so as we see the Milky Way galaxy, it is uh, what they call a barred spiral galaxy. And it has approximately between 100 billion to 400 billion stars. There's different thoughts on that, but 100 billion plus stars. It's, it's big, it's vast, but it's not the biggest galaxy, but it's not the smallest. But in this galaxy, thinking about it, continues to blow my mind because where we are in the Milky Way galaxy is somewhere between uh, 25,000 miles in light years, that is 25,000 light years and 25,000 light years from the center. So if you can think about a third out there. And so I just thinking about the vastness of the Milky Way galaxy. And so I started crunching numbers like I have before. And I thought about boring you with some of the numbers, but I'll just give you a few. You know, speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. It's pretty fast, but I get confused to go in that fast. Uh, it's mind boggling. So I thought about a jet airplane going 600 miles an hour and how could we calculate how far it'd take to get from where we are in the Milky Way galaxy to the center of the Milky Way galaxy. So that's just one fourth, 25,000 light years. So you think about 186,000 miles per second, there's 86,400 seconds in a day, 31,536,000 seconds in a year. And so in a year, if you're going at the speed of light, it's approximately 5.8 trillion miles in one light year. So then if you think about multiplying that times 25,000, you get a big number, 150 quadrillion. And then you think about, okay, that's how many miles. So if I'm going 600 miles per hour, I divide by 600. So that's how many... Mile, see, I'm already getting confused again, but I have a lot of scratch erasing. But you divide by 600 for the miles per hour, and then you divide by 8,760 hours 
in a year. And to get from where we are in the Milky Way galaxy to the center, it would take us 28 trillion years in a jet airplane, 28 trillion years. And I pause, as I wanna pause a few times in the sermon, just think, I, I can't wrap my mind around that. 28 trillion years in a jet airplane. And then we take it a step further and we go to the next slide. The Milky Way galaxy is one galaxy amidst what NASA says are 200 billion galaxies. Galaxies in our universe. And as I was even researching uh, this week, estimates are that there's probably 10 times more galaxies than that as technology gets better and we can see a little further. So two trillion galaxies in the universe and it continues to expand. And God spoke this into existence. This is God, massive, huge. When Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, uh, one pastor speculates, maybe that's the expanding of the universe. He doesn't know, but it's like massive, huge. And that is God. And if we think about the vastness, it says in Psalm 19, one, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. And it says in Isaiah six, the seraphim, these six, six winged angels are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord almighty. And what does it say? The earth is filled with his glory. And we speculate that God has created all these things just to say, hey, I'm huge, I'm vast, I, I love beauty. Look at my creative power. Look at this. And let's just look at our human bodies for just a moment. I haven't studied this too much, but scientists say there's 37 trillion cells in a human body on average, 37 trillion cells. And within each of those cells are 100 trillion atoms. And I, I thought about talking about quantum physics today. And then I realized I was having trouble with my fifth graders math homework. And I was like, I think I need to just back up right now because I'm having trouble with simple fractions right now. But in my twenties, I say a lot of math, did chemistry teaching, calculus teaching in high school. And just remembering as much as we know, there's still so much mystery, so much mystery. And what I want us to think about again is that God doesn't just know about all this stuff. He thought it up. He created it to work. It's from him. It comes through him and it's for him. He sustains it by the power of his word. This is our God and all glory belongs to him. And so I ask this question again, who has known the mind of the Lord or who's been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And that resounding answer is nobody, nobody. This is our God. He's vast, he's massive. In your notes, we have a, a definition from a pastor of the glory of God. And it's impossible to define, but this is his, his stab at it. The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. The glory of God is the infinite beauty. He's infinite infinitely beautiful, and greatness of his manifold perfections. And so we see the challenge. It's like, you think you can know God? You think you can know quantum physics, just one little aspect? We, we can't. But this is the claim. You can know God. 
That's crazy. You can know God. It's crazy. Why? Because he's revealed himself to us. In Romans 10, right before this Romans 11 doxology, Paul quotes Isaiah and he says, Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. And this is the Lord speaking. They weren't seeking for me, these people, but I revealed myself to them. I pursued them. I showed myself to them. And in these passages, Romans 9, 10, 11, Paul's declaring like, this is amazing. This is a mystery, but that the world could be able to say, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. This message has gone out and we see God's desire. This is God's longing for us. It's what's best for us. It's what's best for my soul to do what I was created for. And that's to give glory to God. And too often we talk about glory and we hear messages on glory and it just kind of beats us down because it's like, man, God's so big, he's so glorious and I'm just a worm. And then we just get beaten down. It's like, oh, what's the use? But we're only seeing half the picture because we are creating God's image, image bears, and he's given us infinite worth. And his heart's desire for us shows us a little bit about how much he values us. And so that's where we continue on. Paul gets to the end of chapter 11, the truth that God has made himself known and that he longs for us to come to him and to know him, to know his heart and to receive love from him. And he just stops and he goes, oh, oh. And I looked up the Greek for that. And you know what it means? It means, oh, He says, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. His riches are deep beyond our deepest imagination. His wisdom is deeper than we could dream or imagine. His knowledge is deeper than we could dream or think of. And for the last three weeks, we've been talking about the good news of what God has done, that it is this grace that he's given us. We haven't earned it. It's a gift. It's through faith. Our our call is to believe and trust. He's saying, see my heart and trust me, come on. And we see it's only accomplished through the work of Jesus Christ. We don't add anything to it. It's only through the finished work of the cross. Jesus defeated Satan, sin, and death, raised on the third day, exalted, all glory be to him. But we wanna to continue to see the invitation. God is not stingy. He graciously gives himself to us. God is not distant. Even though we feel like it so often, do you feel like it sometimes? It's like, where's God? Feels like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling, coming back. But he's nearer than you could believe. And we see, I was talking to a friend yesterday on the phone about the sermon, and he was reminding me of John 17, the high priestly prayer. And previous to it in John 16, Jesus is telling his disciples, his best friends, these guys who've been walking with him for three years that have proclaimed, we'll go with you to the death, Jesus. And he says, hey guys, you're gonna bail on me. You're gonna bail, but don't be afraid. You're gonna have much tribulation in this world, but fear not, I've overcome the world. And then he turns his eyes to heaven and he prays this prayer so the disciples could hear, so that we could hear. And I wanna read some portions of John 17 and just be reminded that before Jesus steps to the cross, this is the prayer he utters on our behalf. And what does he ask for? He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. 
For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Listen to this. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I'll continue reading in just a second. But as I meditate on this, I talked with my friend, think about the glory that Christ had with God the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, this Trinitarian relationship, the glory within the Trinity, this love, this joy, this bond. I don't even have words for it. It's, it's, a, it's the beauty of the loving relationship of the Trinitarian God that he has created us to be invited into, partakers of this glory, this glory that is far, it far outweighs and overshadows any of the little trite glories this world can give. If I win the Super Bowl and I'm the MVP, great. But that glory is like a speck of dust compared to the glory of the raging, reckless fury that we call the love of God, this glory that he invites us into and he embraces us into. And in verse 24, he says this, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. And to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Be a partaker of this glory. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. We see God's glory through the universe. We see God's glory in the intricacies of a flower, cellular level, subatomic level. We see it all over the place, but we see the glory of God put on display on the cross that God would put flesh on, be born of a virgin, live in poverty, learn a trade, live a perfect life and march to a cross to bear the curse that was ours, death, separation from God, and be raised again so that we freely could come and know this glory. And we know it in part just now, and we see it just in little snippets throughout our lives. Maybe taste of heaven through relationships, through joyous moments, through intimate conversations where you feel fully known and fully loved, maybe at little snippets. And maybe you haven't even come close to that. But the invitation is that this will be your reality if you know Christ for all eternity, the glory he has for us. And I'd like to slow down and read one more passage here in the second point, the claim. And St. Paul who wrote Romans 11, doxology, St. Paul who writes Ephesians. And he has a prayer in Ephesians 3 that I've been reflecting on for some years. I quote it all the time. But I wanna say, once again, this glory that God has invited us into, his glory, to make much of him, that it's not about me, it is about him. But it's, it's not just about me being shoved down, he invites me into this. The good news of the gospel is that God has invited me into his story, his story. The God who created this universe, and Paul prays this, he says, thinking about Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, this amazing 
thing that God has done. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We've been made alive with Christ because of the great mercy of God. He says this, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. Remember, the creator of everything in heaven on an earth, the massiveness of the universe. I pray from his glorious, unlimited resources, unlimited resources. He will empower, with, empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. And as we know him, this is what's happening. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And then this amazing prayer, and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience, not just know in your head, that's very important, but experience in your heart, in your soul, experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. I pray you would know the unknowable. I pray that you grow down deeper into this love, this relationship that God has invited you into, the love that he has for you. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And then Paul rattles this off. Now what? All glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Glory to him. And I, I sense before we, we just look briefly at the call, Jesus here with us. If you doubt God's heart, look at my heart. The heart of Jesus is the heart of God. If you doubt how I embrace sinners, look at the gospels and see how I'm embracing the sinners how I'm calling them to myself, to this new kingdom. If you doubt how I am against those who abuse religion and my name for their own sake, for their own profit, look how I talk to the Pharisees. Look how I've judged the false prophets in Ezekiel 34. Look at my heart. If you doubt my love, look to the cross. If you doubt my invitation, look at me, resurrected, going to the disciples, telling them to go proclaim this word to the rest of the world. If you doubt it, listen to my heartbeat. Infinite love, invitation for me and you. And our response by God's grace can be, oh, oh. And here's the call. In response to God's glory, we get to this point and we think about participation in this life and the rest of eternity with this glorious, magnificent God. And we often make assumptions about what we're supposed to do. We look at the bigness of the universe. We look at the complexity of the world. And we think in some way, and I think it's unspoken quite often that we think, okay, if this is who God is, this is what he wants me to be. And we miss the boat because we think, Somehow, deep inside, I need to be more powerful if I'm able to be able to do what God wants me to be, but power in my own strength. I need to be smarter and have all knowledge so that I can know everything and then I can be used by God. 
I need to be able to be everywhere. I, gotta, I can't stop, I can't do anything, I gotta do it. This is, this is me, and, and God's looking at me saying, I'm not asking you to be all powerful. I'm not asking you to be all knowing. I'm not asking you to be everywhere. I'm asking you to be you and trust in me. Trust in me. And we think about it, God doesn't need anything. In Acts 17, when Paul's talking to the uh, Athenians, he says, God's not a man that he needs to be served with human hands. He doesn't need anything. But he wants and he longs for certain things. And he wants and longs for you to know him. And I woke up yesterday morning and I was thinking about, uh, even, especially in my own life, just thinking about how I've, I've longed so much. Man, if I could be smarter. And the older I get, it seems the more mushy my brain gets. If I could just be more powerful and the more I try to exert strength and lead with passion, it's like a tireder I get. I, I need to be everywhere. And man, that just cripples me. I can't be everywhere, but I can be me. I feel like as I woke up yesterday morning, I, I remembered Jesus in gospel stories. It's in each of the gospels. Tons of people around in this particular instance, 5,000 men, and then there's women and children on top of that. And he knows he's about to teach his disciples something. He's like, they come to him like, hey, Jesus, everybody's hungry. Send them to a town. Let them get some food. They're hungry. You just say, you feed them. And they're like, Jesus, take half a year's wages to feed this many people. We, there's no way. And he says, what do you have? He says, all we got is this little boy, five loaves, two fish. And Jesus like, Oh, that's more than enough. Come on. Little boy, little food. Bring what you have. And what does Jesus do? He multiplies it. He blesses it. And what do they pick up afterwards? 12 baskets full, right? We bring what we have, not what we don't have. Broken, tired, weak. Trust in Jesus. And I've shared my testimony for years here at Sojourn, uh, and one of, the, one of the fascinating things to me is who God chooses to use in different ways. And I, I've shared the story many times about my senior year of high school. I was so socially anxious, it's part of my story, that I really never talked to anybody. Moved from small town Oklahoma to inner city Memphis, sixth grade, and I learned, because I was small back then, I'm huge now, you can tell. That's not supposed to be funny, that was serious, just kidding. <laughs> But I was small, got picked on a lot. There's gangs, all sorts of stuff. And it just, I learned how to hide. I never talked to anybody. I had a growth spurt, played some basketball and just kind of hidden that. But my senior year of high school, I was awarded a mock award of most likely to host a talk show because I never talked to anybody. And so at the award ceremony, I like people snickering all around. I, I walk up on stage, but the depth of the shame that I felt, I'd be like, oh man. And I remember feeling a call to ministry. And I remember being a school teacher and I remember doing all these things. And I remember speaking in front of five students at a youth group, five students, and being sick at my stomach because I was so nervous about it. And what is my job today? I don't know if you know it, but I'm talking to you right now. 
And there's more than five people in here. And all it's saying is, I brought what I had. And I'm still socially anxious. If you see me hiding in a corner, it's not because I don't want to talk to you. It's just because I don't like crowds. If you want to take me on the worst day of my life, take me to the fair. Because it's like, oh my goodness. (laughs) That ain't no fun for me. But God takes what you got, not what you don't have. He's saying, trust me, trust me. And this is where Romans 12 kicks in. Right after this doxology, this is what Paul writes. And so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. And one of our friends at the seminary, Tom Schreiner, has written a really thick commentary on Romans. He, he paraphrases this, and I just, I just thought it was so beautiful, and I want to hit you with the paraphrase. This is how he paraphrases it. He's, he's basically saying, I urge you because all God has done, give your whole self to God. For this is only reasonable. And so I was joking around with the guys this week. It's like, hey, look at all God's done. What's he asked? Just give your whole self to God. Why? This is reasonable. He's created the universe. He knows past, present, and future. He's died for your sins. He's invited you into an eternal family. You are made holy and righteous because of the sacrifice of Christ. He knows what's best for your life. He knows this world will never satisfy you. He knows the endless pursuits of power, fame, money, safety, whatever it may be. He knows that ain't gonna fill you up. And so if he knows what's best for us, if it's giving glory to him, if it completes our joy to give him praise with our lives, he says, give your whole bodies to God, your whole soul, everything you got. It's only reasonable, right? It's only reasonable. Don't be shaped by the world. Be transformed by new patterns of thinking, renewing the mind. God's ways are best. This is your life of worship. The result is you'll know what to do. God's will to seek his face, to love others, to love him. Our works are not transactionable. Our lives may start out with a lot of duty in the Christian life, but as we see the heart of God, as we see his desires for us, the desire of his heart is that our duty would turn more into delight. And I I thought about it like this. I, I, have something to tell you that may shock you. Uh, got a 10 year old and a six year old and neither of them have jobs. <laughs> they like to spend some money though. And like most kids and my six year old daughter, Juliet, precious, precious, precious. Um, I forgot where I was going to jump into the story. Just think about my daughter. I was thinking about how I got married later in life. Didn't know that I would have kiddos and it's just a Huge, huge blessing. And my daughter doesn't have a job. She doesn't really have money, but she likes to buy gifts for us when it's our birthdays. And so this past August, my wife was turning 40, Ginger. And so 
Juliet's like, we need to go get her a gift. I said, okay. So we go into Target and we're walking around and it was a really interesting conversation that took place with my six-year-old because she said, uh, what characters does mommy like? And she asked, my little pony? And I was like, well, no. And all I, honestly, all I could think of is Wonder Woman. I, she likes Wonder Woman. And then Juliet said something that confused me. She said, well, I want to buy mom a Wonder Woman dress and lay it on her bed. I was like, What? And I was like, babe, I don't know mom's size and I don't think she'd want to wear a Wonder Woman dress <laughs> around. So we just kept going, looked at some candles. She was picking up some interesting things and it's like, hey, let's look over at these candles. Which one smells good? So we bought her a candle. And guess what? I paid for it. <laughs> now, as I got into the, the car afterwards, we're driving home. It's like a memory stuck in my, it struck into my brain here. And it's like, oh, dress, characters. Because a month earlier, Julia had turned six and Ginger had found this cute little Pikachu dress. And some reason Juliet saw Pikachu and fell in love with all things Pikachu. So she's got these big stuffed animals, but this is like the cutest little gray Pikachu dress. And Ginger laid it on her bed so that when she went back into her room after getting up on her birthday, she would see it and she flipped out. It's like, oh, she would wear it all the time. She wore it the first day of kindergarten this year. And then it was in my mind, it's like, oh my goodness. She felt so loved and special from mom putting a dress with Pikachu on her bed that she wanted to return that and get mom a dress and lay it on her bed with Wonder Woman. And I go home, tell my wife that. And do you think our response was like, that girl doesn't even know what gifts you like. <laughs> Wonder Woman dress. And you know what, babe? We had to pay for the candle. <laughs> That's not what we said. I actually pulled Ginger to the side and I was like, can you believe this? And I shared, and we were just amazed. Our little girl wanting to pour out affection. Our hearts were blessed and we were like, I can't believe that. And there was glory in that moment thinking, Juliet didn't have money to buy anything for us. She didn't even know what to buy, but she gave her heart and her affections towards her mama and our hearts were blessed. Isn't it like that with God? That he looks at us and when we turn our attention in the midst of suffering and darkness and doubt, in the midst of death, in the midst of holiday season where maybe your family's been blown up and you say, God, I'm dying, but I trust you, help me trust you. I, I, I need you, that it blesses his heart. Not to pretend like you're something you're not or whatever else, it's coming as you are. And I closed with this illustration. I saw it when I was 23 years old and it's stuck with me ever since. And I think it's only reasonable. And it's about, an illustration is about a pen and a blank sheet of paper and what God asked us to, and, and this pastor who was suffering from cystic fibrosis named Dave Busby, cough up blood after he preached, 
he passed away some years ago, but he was a man of God. And, and he said, on, on this blank sheet of paper, what God's asking us to do is write life contract. And then he says, God's heart and his desire is for you to go to the bottom and sign it and leave it blank and say, God, here's my life and here's the pen. Help me to follow you. And all throughout this life, we find ourselves taking back the pen and we're like, okay, God, if you give me this raise or this promotion, then I'll follow you if my kids won't act up anymore. Uh, and we find ourselves taking this and we're taking control and God's saying, my child, give me back the pen. And we surrender it back to him. And it goes through life over and over again like that. And so I ask you here today, what places have you taken the pen? And you're saying, I demand this, this is me, this, I gotta do this. And God's saying, no, come to me. It's only reasonable. I know what's best. Trust me, follow me, follow my heart. And as we turn to communion here this morning, we're reminded of the glory that was seen in the cross. That Jesus' body was broken where ours should have been. His blood was spilt where ours should have been spilt. And he sets up this reminder, reminding us that he took our death, that he was separated from God the Father so that we would never have to be separated. And as Christians, we come today, if you're a believer, we come and we take a piece of the bread and dip it in the juice or wine, whatever your conscience permits, and be reminded, Lord, in, in a gracious way, remind me where I've got the pen and let me lay it down because you've given everything for me and you know what's best. Lord, may I give my life, my whole life to you. And if you're not a Christian, the scriptures teach against you partaking in communion, but hear the invitation. The message goes out today. The same God who created the universe invites you to come and know him, to surrender your life to Jesus and to know joy eternal, though there will be much suffering and tribulation on this world. Fear not, for he has overcome the world. Let's pray together.